Thank you. Thank you. This is Immerse, the podcast in book. We are delighted to have you join us. Immerse is produced by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, and Bart Plantinga for Morrow Sound, Vermont, and Helsinki, and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Filipolka's fame reached the techno avant-garde with the adoption of his ingenious VBAP, vector-based amplitude panning, a software tool for creating spatial sound. When I met him in Helsinki, I was delighted to discover that behind the techie who developed VBAP is a charming jokester. Since then, I've enjoyed his warmth and his efficient organizing for the acoustics department at Aalto University, including the 2023 154th workshop of the Audio Engineering Society of Europe. Myelina Remis and I interviewed Villa in his lab where he was studying the acoustic layers of the Earth's atmosphere. He also talked about his learning to dance at the age of 40 and performing on television for commercials and musical events, where the delight of performance must compete with his delight of invention. Philip Pulke is a professor in the Department of Information and Communications Engineering at Aalto University, Helsinki, Finland, who has worked in the field of spatial audio for over 25 years. He developed VBAP for his PhD in 2001 and later directional audio coding with the assistance of his research group. He's also made contributions to the perception of spatial sound, laser-based measurement of room responses, and binaural auditory models. He received the Samuel L. Warner Memorial Medal Award from the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers and the AES Silver Medal Award. He enjoys his family, building a summer house, playing a variety of musical instruments, as well as acting, dancing, and singing. Bill, it's a pleasure to have you on Immerse. Thanks. It's nice that you could talk with us today. We've known each other for quite a few years here in Finland and um, had the pleasure of being in your anechoic chamber, for example. And uh, I mean, I knew about your work long before with your invention in, in software that's coursed through the world. <laughs> and uh, I guess I'm interested in your background and your foreground. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your first experience with uh, immersive experiences and uh, immersive sound. Oh, thanks, Charlie. It's great pleasure. Uh, I guess somehow I, I have been always interested in sound and uh, and music. Most of the music I was listening to when I was, I don't know, five or six years, I had a record player and I was kind of playing so much of that one one play that I had, or maybe I had two. One. I, yeah, I had two. Yeah, <laughs> my family was a bit annoyed of that children's songs all the time. And um, from that time, I also remember the first experiences experiences of directional hearing, like uh, 
we were out there in on the field and there was a, a airplane airplane going and then somebody said that hey do you notice that the plane is there but you hear the sound from behind of it and it was like wow that's true i can i can somehow perceive the direction of sound source that was my first place when where i noticed it i think and then i've been also interested in silence like uh, when in finland you ski in winter time and you stop in the center of woods and there's no no wind or other sounds so it's completely silent and it's somehow it's very very powerful uh, emotion you get there but yeah so i started to go more i was always trying to make some music with whatever i had in my hand and also musical instruments and at some point i started to go to piano classes and was singing in choirs and there was quite a lot of music in schools and and uh, later then as a teenager i was really thinking that i'm a classical pianist and that's that's my way to go but uh, i was also quite good in school and did uh, okay in physics and physics and mathematics and i kind of in high school i started to like a lot this physics and i thought that yeah that's my thing i i want to be a engineer and, and or study physics or something and then after high school i was studying really the technical physics or engineering physics here in uh, alto university or it was technilin and korkeakoulu before but at the same time i was still continuing my piano classes and whatever singing i had then uh, actually i saw this oh, i was pondering then in the end that what what should i do next after this engineering studies and should i go to to work somewhere and but then i actually saw this french movie kaikki elämäni aamut all the mornings of my life in finnish but there's Gerard Depardieu there and they are it's about these uh, gamba players and uh, these very well known ones this Coulomb and so on then the music was so high and I was so excited of that and that I made a decision that I will continue my music studies and uh, I want to be a music engineer one day <laughs> never know what what that would mean but okay now i get the name of the uh, it's the all the world's mornings yes is the oh is the name of that film yeah um so i applied and i got to sibelius academy to study the musical education so i was i was trained to be a music teacher for high schools although i never really took those educational or pedagogical classes there But then uh, I had been like three years in that school and I needed some added income from somewhere. And then somebody here in uh, Alta University campus, I was here for some reason, I said to me that, hey, Villa, there's a very cool project coming between Sibelius Academy and Alta University. And I said, cool. And they said they will pay something like 2,000 euros about it. And I was cool, I will take that. <laughs> and then, then I said, what should I do? And they said that, yeah, here is this. Sibelius Academy had this 32-channel loudspeaker set up, or it's a concert hall that has a lot of loudspeakers in the ceilings and 
walls and Alta University had a eight channel D to A converter, which was really cool that time. The year was 95. And then they said that uh, they want to control the direction of perceived sound. And, and, and I said, okay, I can do this <laughs> without any knowledge how to do it. And then I said, so what should I do? And they gave, gave me some papers on pairwise panning where you have two loudspeakers and you pan the sound between those. And then they said that, yeah, here's some background, do something. And then I, I think I was kind of thinking of it for two months and how to solve this. And I first, I thought of this trip uh, that, okay, if they are talking about pairs, so here it's 3D, it must be triangles. And, and then I was thinking quite a long time how to compute the gain factors for those loudspeakers in a loudspeaker triplet. And then I finally got this vector-based idea, which then gave the direction for this vector-based amplitude panning. And um, it, it worked well, and then I'm happy that I was, I was educated in such a way that I realized that nobody else had done it before, and it is really a golden egg on my hand, so I could publish it and give the free code to everybody, so I, then everybody started to use it, and Charlie also, it seems. <laughs> Yeah, okay, and then I, then there was a time that I had to make a decision: Do I continue this uh, special audio endeavor, or should I continue with this music? And then, oh, I thought that it looks so good this special audio that I will continue there. So then I applied and got some funding for PhD studies in Alta University, and then I was made my PhD around this vector-based amplitude panning. And then and then after that, I'm really interested in sound and also building something by myself. And also I'm interested in questions. If somebody asks me a, a relevant question in my field, I never forget it. It always stays in somewhere in back back of my brains and then and then then one day maybe the answer pops out from my brains. I don't know who does it and is there some kind of a green man behind some curtain or something. But who is sending me these messages? But yeah. Sometimes I get a wow or aha effect or heureka effect and yeah. Um, but yeah, you asked about immersive sound. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like sound. I like music. I like invent to invent. But it would be not true if I would say that I am really interested in immersive sound. That I really want to get this immersive sound to highest possible level, just because it is immersive sound. It's more that I'm interested in 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 this work or work of uh, inventor and uh, work of scientist and then then it has happened that my my inventions are in the field of immersive sound <laughs> I, I don't know what do you say about that Charlie I think it's like that for everybody I think that uh, we start out with specific goals particularly uh, in our generations because this is um, these were new thoughts. When you did your inventions, you could do them because there was a, 
uncharted territory. Uh, same for me. And I think this is um, what became interesting for me. I became interested in, in VBAP as I had started out as, a, amongst other things, as an outdoor composer of outdoor experiences. I had left the concert hall and decided I'd rather perform with musical instruments in open spaces and uh, free to the public. I wanted people to come to hear experiments in music and sound mm. and language that they might not hear otherwise, so they should come for free. Mm. So that's what we're doing in New York, and it's in that context what to do in a park, what to do with sound that can be heard for a kilometer or mm. the circumstance led to the observations, but it was first experience and then giving it a name. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, would you like to talk about the work that you're doing now, though? Because I think um, I was amazed by uh, your headset. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So after this um, PhD, then I did, or I have had a few topics that I have been working on, like this... Uh, um, working on, let's say, ambisonical recordings and using some knowledge of human hearing to enhance them better, which then bypasses some of the artifacts that are existing in first-order ambisonics. And that's actually quite big part of my work has been. And there are some, or oh, this directional audio coding or uh, has been coming out for first-order and higher orders also for impulse responses. Um, then also some, uh, then it's kind of uh, diverging to be informing and we have used some pr same principle how, uh, in the idea that how to make uh, the beam pattern of a microphone array, array to be as narrow as possible. And then also in some point I, there was some studies with lasers and uh, because in, uh, when you measure impulse responses of small spaces, then loudspeakers are problematic because they are quite bulky and big and they have a directional pattern. But if you take a high, high power pulsed infra, uh, ultraviolet laser, then you can uh, explode the air and you get a small spark there, which produces something like uh, 170 decibels 170 decibels which is quite allowed yeah, yeah, <laughs> i'm looking at a chart behind me which yeah. i'm going to copy and include in the uh in the yeah. let me take a quick picture of it i think <laughs> and, and we can see exactly how loud that sound is <laughs> and uh, there's um uh, our assistant is uh, giving the information that the name of the film in french is Tous les matins du monde. <laughs> we can put that back into the earlier part yeah. of the show. <laughs> or just digressions in the middle of the show and say, hey, we forgot this. You remember that, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a nice way to measure impulse responses, but it's a bit um, dangerous. You can light fires, and if you, if it comes to your eye, it's you will lose your sight, which is a problem. 
But uh, that's still on. Hopefully, we can continue the work to develop it to be a more safe version of it. And then I studied also psychoacoustics, like uh, how good we are in hearing the directions of what, uh, different broadband sources and some modeling of human hearing. How do our hearing devices work in the brains? But lately, then. Um, At some point, I got this idea of a super hearing, spatial super hearing, that um, uh, you know that uh, when bats are yelling a lot, they actually are very loud. Some bats can produce something like 120 decibels of sound, which is something that we are glad that we don't hear it because it's so loud. But uh, But um, sometimes it would be nice to hear what kind of sources we have around and where they are. So uh, there exist some devices that uh, they are kind of modulators that they bring to audible range the sound and then they play the sound back back with a small loudspeaker. So then you hear the bad sound from your uh, from your hand, and uh, then you don't know where the bat is. But uh, we kind of combine this. Uh, knowledge of how to modulate the sounds to audible range with this knowledge of this um, spatial audio reproduction, this directional audio coding knowledge. And now we have a headphone device where we have uh, six microphones on a cube, a small cube like a dice or a die. And then, um, then we kind of all the time we measure in one millisecond time windows where the sound is coming from and then we bring the one of the sing or the sum signal to audible range and then make it audible via some uh, HRTF processing through, to that direction where we analyzed it to come and it's quite nice effect because you really can then hear that hey there are bats in that tree or there is in this uh, high pressure pipe there is a small leak here or then you can find that uh, power supply in your closet that makes uh, is makes some ultrasound noise so it means that there's some vibrations inside that power adapter and it might uh, break in one point But yeah, uh, we are going to continue this work to the direction of blind, uh, to be help, helping devices for blind people and maybe divers. And we are going to try that if you can hear the Wi-Fi stations around you and localize them by hearing. Yep, I kind of like to make this kind of a bit esoteric <laughs> project. Maybe if you mind. Well, it's, it's wonderful that you uh, follow your bent. I mean, it's you know, they say uh, there's a saying in, in the uh, pop music business is that when you're having a good time, you don't even notice that you have recorded that tape that's going to sell millions of records. And uh, it seems to me it's the same with any kind of invention. Often you don't have any idea mm. what the value is because you're just so deeply engrossed in what in making it with your hands. Yeah. And then it's very valuable if somebody comes to you and says that, hey, we could use this here and there. And it, and, and then it's great to me also that to find that somebody who is interested in my technology, who is uh, 
weren't willing to take it into use somewhere because, uh, I mean, the scientific publications are nice because they describe what we have been doing and that's, of course, something we have to do. But they are worthless if they don't ever lead to anywhere or it, they don't lead to any, any, any influence in the society with people or industries or something. I think it would be very nice now to play a few examples of the superhearing sound. Yeah, there is, um, in this example, uh, we were actually walking next to a streetlight in, in Otanimi region in Espo, Finland, and there was bats flying around that streetlight, catching those uh, insects that were attracted by the light. And you can hear that they are movement. They, they sound like birds, and they kind of go around, and you kind of hear that they move. Yeah, the bats are flying around quite fast. You can hear that they are flying around quite fast. But they are so fast that it's a bit hard to say where they are, actually. Because uh, one reason is that our hearing is a bit sluggish, especially the, these, uh, those mechanisms that are related to interval time difference decoding or encoding. They follow a bit sluggishly the actual direction of the source, Okay, and in this demo there was a bicycle pipe, uh, which we made a sm very small uh, leak in it, and you can hear, in the recording you could hear this sound coming left and right, because I was moving bicycle inner tube, yeah, in, in front of the camera. So in this demo there was a bicycle inner tube where uh, to which I put a, pinched a very small hole, and I was moving it left and right in the front of the super hearing device. So you heard this sound going left and right. And uh, there's one one demo which is about the listening test and it's quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, so that was the super hearing. We were talking about emotion before and I thought it was uh, very honest of you to say that, you know, a lot of the discussions about emotion have been based on different principles. The first one you recalled was from Audio Engineering Society paper back in the, I think, 1990s. And, uh, uh, this actually, what I mentioned was 
quite recent, it, uh, like in five years, there was somebody showing in a New York convention that, uh, which actually came out in the journal also later. But they were going through different definitions of immersion and what does it mean. And they liked the idea that uh, immersion happens if something is mediated to you and you don't realize that it is not real. So it's kind of a perfect illusion that you really think that something is real. And uh, then immersion could happen, for example, if somebody sees the first time a 4K video of a fire and then uh, the viewer blushes because because he sees the uh, fire which causes this kind of physiological reaction, which can be said then that it was total immersion because the viewer thought that it's a real fire and got this effect of the temperature in the skin. Uh, But it might be that it doesn't happen uh, when you show again this uh, fire to this person, then he doesn't get any more this immersion effect. But uh, then, I mean, this goes to some scientific definitions and then we could talk about immersiveness if something is a bit immersive, <laughs> but, but but in a way, I kind of like the idea that uh, what better you reproduce everything, all the all these aspects that humans are sensitive to, that better is the let's say level of immersion. Then that that closer you are to that original scene. But of course, you have to compare this the quality of reproduction. And you you should then always have the listener in the original place and the listener in the reproduced place. And then somehow you should be able to compare those perceptions. Because uh, in audio, it is practically in, impossible to reproduce the sound fields as they are, just because of limit limitations in microphones and loudspeakers. And then you start to make some flaws and you have some shortcomings in the technologies and then finally it doesn't sound the same but it's very hard to say that how is it different and what is causing this hmm i don't know if are we are close to the immersion anymore but but it's a kind of subjective term uh, I, I like it because it's a uh, It's describing the perception of uh, the listener. And in a way, it's the ultimate goal of spatial audio reproduction. You've made a point, though, that really interested me, since you are a music lover, music maker, performer, and uh, you've said, in fact, you enjoy performing more than you do being audience. And, uh, And you said when the rhythm and the melody and the harmonies all come together, there's something really special. And you said that's a kind of a version. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about when the music works. Yeah, I mean, there are so many levels in audio reproduction and already before phonographs and anything, there was music was reproduced as, a, as some kind of a mm, clockwork. Clockworks. 
that you were the melody was sent as a, some kind of thing you could play in a clockwork or in these mechanical pianos you had those piano rolls so then it was a revolution because you could you could transfer audible music from place to another and what you were reproducing was some kind of melody some kind of harmony some kind of rhythm they didn't have too much of voice yet but still it was an industry that time that somebody was producing them and getting money out of that <laughs> nowadays it's a you have so many ways to do it but but anyway then you were going to phonographs and gramophones and you got also the voice and real instruments and uh, like um, strings and horns and everything reproduced that's always better and better but still i mean so when you can deliver the music you didn't need so much and then of course you could think that finally the people who are the composers of music they could have been actually designing their music in a way that it fits these clockworks that they can bring a very nice piece of music to people using this media that they have <laughs> yes I, I really enjoy playing piano singing I enjoy performing I perform in musicals by singing acting and dancing I'm I'm maybe it's the same that I really love to build my my measurement devices and my summer houses and whatnot this is the same thing that I enjoy music and the best I enjoy it when I make it myself and I'm playing some Chopin with my piano uh, that's just so enjoyable of course good good music from audio or whatever headphones or loudspeakers can be also very good but I would say that it's I I enjoy it more when I play it myself it's interesting to hear you say that one of the uh, writers who's involved in this immersion project of mine I interviewed uh, the poet Jerome Rothenberg who's been my mentor over the years he's older than me and he said one of the most immersive experiences is the lone poet, the lone musician all by himself, just creating in the moment. Mm. You're kind of inside that music, yes. I do also compose a bit and uh, you can check my YouTube page of my <laughs> compositions. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, that's also then it kind of brings together that making yourself and make bringing it to their audience audience and but when you are a composer it's it's quite long route from that when you are typing some notes with your notes uh, with your software and then finally somebody is playing it somewhere or singing it and uh, but it, it's already or I mean I don't necessarily need that or in that case I don't need that I'm performing myself but it's also feels so great that if, if it is my piece played somewhere and if I happen to be in the same place, of course, that's uh, excellent.
Well, thank you for being in this place, having this conversation, which we've recorded, and uh, very much appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie, and thank you for listening to this. <laughs> thank you. This is Immerse, the podcast and book. We are delighted to have you join us. Immerse is produced by Charlie Morrow, Sean McCann, and Bart Plantenga for Morrow Sound, Vermont and Helsinki, and Recital Edition, Los Angeles. Immerse. Immerse. An empty shell to fall back into the sea.